Hi, everybody. Angela Levant here in Toronto, Canada. Most of our viewers are in Canada, but we have viewers around the world because we talk about issues that are of common interest in the United States, Western Europe, Australia, the entire Anglosphere. And of course, like so many people around the world, our eyes are transfixed by the war between Israel and a terrorist group called Hamas and how that seems to be knocking down other dominoes. The United States has now sent two different aircraft carrier groups to the region. Russia is now deploying MiG-31s with their Kinzhal hypersonic missiles. Iran is saber-rattling. So is Turkey. We have a man on the ground. Our Australian bureau chief, Abiy Amini, who lives in Melbourne, has traveled to Israel along with our brave cameraman, Benji. We have furnished for them bulletproof vests, but of course, that's no defense against a rocket. We're very worried about him, but he's been safe. He knows how to handle himself. He joins us now from Israel. Avi Yamini, great to see you. What time is it over there? So I guess it's about 8 p.m. Israel time. Is that right? That's right. 8 p.m. here and behind us. We're on the Israel-Gaza border, about 600 meters from the border. And I'm not sure I can't see behind me, but it has been pretty active in the last hour or so because uh, I don't think it's known publicly yet, but um, at 8.45, Bibi Netanyahu is set to speak. I think they've taken out one of the senior um, leaders of Hamas. I, I follow different Israeli government and military accounts, and they have been announcing different Hamas commanders. I understand a spokesman has been uh, killed, and I'm sure that does—I mean, that—that that is how you degrade Hamas. Um, it's interesting. I remember when we spoke to you last week, you said that the land invasion seemed imminent, and in fact— it looked like Israeli soldiers were massing. There had been a big call-up of reservists. I see news now, or at least reports, I don't know if they're verified, that the United States has managed to persuade Israel not to invade straight away because the United States wanted to bring into the theater different anti-missile defense systems. I don't know if that's an accurate report. What can you tell us? Have you heard anything about, A, why the ground invasion is delayed, and B, if it does have anything to do with America getting military assets into the arena? So, yeah, Ezra, so when we, you know, when I spoke to you on, uh, I think it was Friday night, and I was telling you that it's imminent, and you saw it was a really active border. There was incoming and outgoing fire. Um, all our sources on the ground, mostly people who were actually preparing on the front line, ready to go in. It was just the, 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 the debate was about what time rather than whether it was going to happen. And then the news broke that Hamas released the two American hostages. And since then, it's been really difficult to get a sense of when this is happening. Again, when you talk to anybody across Israel, uh, whether they're military or civilian or political Everybody says the ground invasion is 100% going ahead. I cannot see that it won't go ahead at some point. Um, they've promised the, the citizens of Israel that they're going to annihilate Hamas. Um, and, and, and that's, I think, what every Israeli expects. So even just from a political point of view, unless they have something you know, that I haven't thought of that's going to, that is even better than a ground invasion for um, restoring the security, the sense of security for Israelis. Um, this ground invasion is happening, and all the, you know, all the people, uh, um, 
kind of uh, with their opinions on Twitter, you know, as to why it's happening and why what's the delays. And, and I, I think they probably, uh, a lot of it's just speculation. It's very hard to know what's going on behind closed doors at the moment in the background. Mm-hmm. I do suspect that it does include a lot of negotiations because there are so many um, uh, uh, dual citizens involved. Like when, a couple of nights ago, they did plan to, uh, to release 50 dual citizens until in the last moments they said that they'll only hand them over if Israel um, gives the Hamas terrorists fuel, which, of course, Israel refused. And so instead they were um, two elderly um, hostages were were released instead. Hmm. Um, you know, it's incredible. I uh, you you just uh, I, I've been watching your Twitter feed and, of course, many others and um the amount of rockets still being fired out of Gaza is enormous, and they're still reaching areas in and around the major city of Israel, Tel Aviv, over a million people in the greater Tel Aviv area. Um, it's incredible to me that 18 days after the terrorist attacks, and there's so much uh, shelling and missile strikes against Hamas, they're still able to muster that much firepower against Israel, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised by that. That suggests that you know, they are better built up, better hidden, better equipped than perhaps, I'm, I mean, I'm an amateur here, but it is interesting to me that 17 days, 18 days into this, and they can still fire hundreds, maybe thousands of rockets out of Gaza. Absolutely. And imagine they put that effort into taking care of their own citizens instead of trying to kill their neighbours, Ezra. Um, but you're absolutely right. And I guess it just proves to the Israeli population even more so as to why they need to disarm Hamas. Um, and, and I think that's also, you know, most Israelis feel um, like it's probably in the best interest of the Palestinian people living in Gaza, the civilians, uh, not necessarily the civilians that got involved in the lynching and the raping when Hamas paved the way for them on, on October 7th, but the genuine civilian that is not um, engaging in Hamas's behaviour and probably doesn't want a part of that and just wants to live their life like any other human being, wants to work and provide for their family. So, so um, most Israelis think that if you remove Hamas, it's going to, one, protect Israel, but also, two, it gives peace and opportunity that will allow... Um, the Palestinian people themselves to thrive because remember all that foreign aid that's been going to the Gaza Strip billions a year has obviously not gone to the infrastructure for the Palestinian people. It's gone to the infrastructure of the terrorist group for for um, weapons, missiles, and obviously their uh, intricate huge tunnel network under the city. And that's probably the biggest fear going in um, for the ground forces here in Israel when they do finally... Uh, enter the Gaza Strip, but we've had a, a pretty um, a, a pretty full day today. Actually, we've we've finally gotten some. It, it's really hard to get access here at the moment because uh, it's interesting because we're travelling with uh, another Australian who who does a lot of wartime correspondence, and you know he says to me that uh, when you go to uh, war zones that are organised, access is always a lot harder. And he covered a lot of Ukraine, and you're saying in Ukraine you can just walk up to anywhere you can literally walk to the front line and you just say hey i know robbie i'm good um here it's not like that uh, and um it dawned on me today is i've got such a large family who are all serving here 
and I made some calls to some some family members that actually serve in some uh, elite units, and I said, "Hey, we want to talk to the real, the real soldiers, the real fighters that are going in, not the spokesmen, because we've been offered all these spokespersons like all the other media, but that just doesn't interest me, and I don't think it interests the viewers because we know their talking points. We want to hear from the people that are actually going to." be marching across that border at some point. And we certainly got that today. In fact, we also got special forces police who helped recapture Sterot, this city, that uh, uh, 50 terrorists went house to house butchering uh, the locals. So it's been a, a pretty full on day. And behind us, of course, you can I think you can hear it. It is certainly um, heating up. Wow. So we'll be able to see all those interviews at the truth about the war.com in the hours ahead. I understand that you have to send those videos back to us here and uh, you're busy in the field, busy editing. There's so much going on. You're a one man army. Well, Benji's with you too. Uh, and I salute you both for doing that. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier that a ground attack is something that every Israeli wants, not just for a sense Expect. of justice, but for a sense of, so it will not happen a second time. And the fact that Israel hasn't been able to knock out from the air Hamas's rocket launching capability sort of demonstrates that maybe that brutal Stalingrad-style house-to-house battle is necessary, although I just am terrified at the thought of that. I mean, these underground tunnels, it's not like a trench network. These tunnels can be 200 feet deep. Like these are serious, it's almost like a mine. And I don't even know if if there are missiles that can penetrate that deep from the surface. I, I, I'm not an expert enough to know. And the idea of sending soldiers into underground, booby-trapped tunnels in the dark is so terrifying to me. Um, I mean, we know in Vietnam there was these traps and tunnels, but those were nothing like 18 years of industrial tunneling. Um, I'm, I, I'm terrified of what might come, but you said maybe there's something more appealing to, to assuage the enraged and, and sorrowful Israeli public. And the only thing I can think of is a sort of decapitation strike at the Hamas leadership or even Iran, Hamas's financier. And... I'm just in my own amateur way thinking, well, what could Joe Biden possibly be offering Israel uh, to make Israel stop the invasion? Joe Biden is not going to send American troops onto the ground of Gaza. I'm quite, I'm pretty sure about that. Would he have American special forces go and grab the leadership of Hamas? Would he even try something with Iran? I don't know, but it would have to be of, the, of that kind of qualitative character, I think, to to be any sort of um, acceptability to the Israeli public that, that's not wanting I, to, to... Go ahead. Weigh in. I, 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 th I, think the, I think for the Israeli population, it actually has to come from, and not only for the Israelis, for the Arab world as well, I think that this needs to come from Israel. It can surely... Um, the support of of the United States, at least uh, symbolically showing that they actually are going to stand by their allies um, is important because I think most of the world doesn't believe in America's might anymore, especially since they spoke, they talked so tough when it came to Ukraine and they did absolutely nothing. Um, so, I th but I think that 
whatever it is, it's kind of got to be this Antebi moment mm. for Israel. One, for the population to feel like they're uh, military and, uh, you know, the brand of the IDF is reclaimed. And the same for the Arab world, the brand of the IDF, the one that they feared so for so many years. The, the, Israel's entire existence relies on that. Um, so it is important that it comes from Israel and Israel reestablishes um, that kind of uh, military might. And I, I feel like they're cooking something and uh, we're just going to have to wait and see hmm. because uh, maybe, you know, there are a lot of people getting impatient. Yeah. Uh, there is also there are also a lot of, you know, this has never happened. It's never happened that Israel has to um, basically go in and fight while there's 210 plus hostages in there. So it's it's a really active scenario and a, a dynamic one as such because, you know, the, the last time, the last uh, or, or the last one that I actually was, uh, I remember, that's the outside of 2004, before 2014, the last time there was uh, uh, hostages, Gilad Shalit, it was one hostage and they had him for seven years now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, 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 Interesting to see how it will unfold, but I dare say that whatever it is, it's going to have to, it's going to have to come from Israel. Yeah, I, I take your point. I mean, that's one of the great shocks of what happened 18 days ago. Is where was Israel's famed intelligence agencies? Where was the uh, high tech fence that had served it so well? Um, where was the military? And, Why did and, and this, this is the this is the question that I've literally asked. Everyone from you know political figures to uh, you know activists to tonight the special forces uh, a police officer who reacted here to re- uh, regular military and everybody says a lot has to be answered. Mm-hmm. Everybody says that and they all then say the same thing. But right now it doesn't matter because mm-hmm. it did happen, mm-hmm. and right now we need to we need to win the fight to be able to then go back and look at what went wrong. So yeah. I, uh, every Israeli is asking that same question that the entire world is asking and that mm-hmm. I came really wanting answered. Mm-hmm. But what I realized is they're probably right. It's not the most important, it's not the most important point. It's not the imp- most important um, issue right now because it doesn't matter even if you find out who was at fault. If you lose this war, what does it matter? Because none of them will be here later to answer for what went wrong. Yeah, very interesting. Well, uh, it's quite a fleet that the United States is assembling. And uh, I keep thinking to myself, why? Is it just to uh, warn other powers not to get involved, warn Hezbollah not to attack? I mean, if you have two aircraft carriers, including the the, the newest and the largest ever built, uh, the Gerald Ford, that is a lot of firepower. And It'll be interesting to see. I, I think, think I think ahead. I think there is I think there's a you know there's a build of uh, of of a number of uh, militaries at the moment building up in in this region, including the Australian Army is redeploying to the Middle East at the moment. That, that was announced today as well. So um, I think that people realise that this conflict, I hope, doesn't grow into something bigger. But people realise, well, at least countries realise what's at stake here. And I think from the Israeli perspective, at least the Israeli citizen and the Israeli soldiers and everybody here, they, they, from their perspective, is if we fall, um, the rest of you are going to be next. And I don't think they're wrong. Yeah. 
Well, Avi, it's great to see you, and uh, thanks for your coverage. For folks who want to see all of Avi's videos, you can go to the truth aboutthewar.com. Watch all of his videos. We've also put other videos related to the subject on that same page. And if you f feel moved to chip in to help crowdfund Avi's cost, please do. It's not just Avi. It's our brave cameraman, Benji. We flew them in from Melbourne, Australia. That's where they're based. Uh, there's food and accommodation. Of course, the bulletproof vests and helmets that we had to acquire quickly. So there are other costs involved. If you can chip in, please do. You can do so right at that same page. I think it's very important to have the other side of the story, especially when you see what the CBC and BBC and the Australian Broadcasting Corporation have published. Last word to you, Avi. I've got to say, uh, I've got to give Dave Menzies a shout out because today, I don't actually remember because we've bumped into so many people today, but someone brought up his video in Canada, which I think it, was, it must have been Menzies. It sounded like a Menzies situation where he was at a pro-Palestinian rally and really exposing um, what what these pro-Palestinian, um, uh, pro, well, they're not pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas, the pro-terrorists, uh, te uh, the supporters are in Canada, and it's reaching these shores here. I, I, I cannot remember who it was today, but shout out to Dave because he's, a, he's obviously having an effect. Well, it's great to hear, and it is incredible to see how far some of his videos have gone. The one where he interviews the young woman, Mississauga, who's wearing the AK-47 earrings. Uh, in fact, the IDF put that in an official video, the Israel Defense Forces. And there, there's an older video by David when he was at an Al-Quds Day Iran-funded protest in Toronto and just encountered an incredible uh, and shocking uh, uh, pro-Iran protesters. So David's been on the streets of Canada. In some ways, that's a, a terrifying battlefield. So, Avi, stay safe. Thanks for uh, joining us at this hour. Thanks. All right. Thank there. you, Ezra. Right on. Avi Yamini, our chief Australian correspondent who knows Hebrew, knows his way around Israel, has family there, and was the perfect teammate to send on that project. Well, it's nice to get an update from him. I remember when we were talking to him a few days ago, and the invasion seemed imminent. We saw uh, armored vehicles um, mustering, and uh, I can only imagine what it's like to be on the, the precipice of going in and then being told to wait for negotiations, but it's true. I mean, imagine having 200 civilian hostages as we talked about at great length um, earlier this week, these are not prisoners of war who are being treated well as the Geneva Conventions require. These are civilians. These are, in some cases, babies as young as three years old. In fact, younger than that, some literally infants. So what do you do when you have uh, the cruelest terrorists who have infants how do you respond? And they're hidden in these. And that, and that may imagine if you have these babies hidden underground in these subterranean caverns. And these are serious. It's not just like a little trench. And you have these intricate networks and you probably have false alleys and booby traps and doors that can be opened and closed. Like imagine what 18 years of preparation for an Israeli invasion would look like. And, and going into those narrow passages with a bulletproof vest and a backpack and a weapon, I mean, just even physically. Uh, and do you just blow it all up from the air? Well, how do you do that if the hostages are in there? I mean, 
they're, they're surely not all in one place. Salted around Gaza, there's probably dozens of locations where the hostages are. And look, if Hamas will use Palestinian, Palestinian children as human shields, if they'll place their missiles literally next to schoolyards or mosques or, or hospitals, of course they would use Jewish hostages in the same way. Uh, it's 121. I'm going to take a short break. We're going to play some Rebel News House ads for you. And then we're going to come back and go through some of the news of the day, uh, including um, an interesting move uh, by Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. That's all ahead. Stay with us. Here's some ads. David Menzies for Rebel News here in downtown Toronto. And I got to tell you, folks, next March, March 23rd to 30th, to be precise, we are going on a Caribbean cruise. Can you imagine that? And a lot of your favorite rebels will be there, such as Sheila Gunn-Reeds. We got Alexa Lavoie, the big boss man himself. Of course, he'll be there, Ezra Levant. And how about this? How about this for the cherry on the Sunday? Tamara Leach, Canada's number one freedom fighter. She'll be on that boat, too. And look at the itinerary. We're going to be going to Half Moon Cay in the Bahamas. And then we're going to jazz it up in Oco Rios, Jamaica. And then there's Georgetown in the Cayman Islands. And finally, Cozumel, Mexico. Can you imagine that? If you want more details in terms of getting aboard the ship, go to rebelnewscruise.com. That's rebelnewscruise.com. All the details are there, the departure dates, the costs. And you know what? This is not just a fun-filled getaway. This is a way in which Rebel News raises some revenue. Unlike the mainstream media, we don't receive a nickel of government funding, nor would we take it if ever offered. So it's win-win. Enjoy yourself in the Caribbean and Mexico, and also support your favorite online news channel. So that's rebelnewscruise.com. I hope to see you aboard. Hey, Ben Shapiro here. This November, the Wilberforce Project is bringing me to Canada. If you want to fight the woke machine destroying families, join me in Calgary for my talk, hosted by the Wilberforce Project. Go to benshapirolive.ca for info and tickets. Come on out November 25th. It's all aboard the Freedom Train in Niagara-on-the-Lake. You can check Rebel News for updates and also the Freedom Passport site. Tamara Leach, who led the Truckers' Convoy, will be sharing the stage with some of the finest international recording artists, like the Chops Horns from New York City, who's played with Alicia Keys, Stevie Wonder, the Rolling Stones, and many more. Plus, New World Sun, just off a European tour, and the legendary R&B master, Leroy Emanuel. Get on the Freedom Train with Tamara Leach. Saturday, November 25th at Niagara-on-the-Lake Central Community Center, 680 York Road. Get your tickets today at freedompassport.ca. The Freedom Train is coming. Know your rights. Know your freedoms. Hey, welcome back. So what can we do about things on the home front? And that's actually been just as troubling to me as what happened over in Israel. What happened over in Israel was uh, a display of barbarism that is shocking. It's Stone Age type stuff. So we talked about yesterday at great length, apocalypto type stuff, human sacrifice type stuff, animalistic. I don't like comparing people to animals. 
Um, it, it's dehumanizing, and, and we have to treat people as people, even if they've done something terribly evil. But at a certain point, they are comparable to, to animals, although animals, I don't think, are deliberately cruel. There's a cruelty that would shock even the Nazis, I think. But that's overseas, and there are big issues for Israel to figure out how to attack Hamas without causing the death of the hostages, how to attack in Gaza without falling into a hundred booby traps. Um, Stalin had a, a couple of years to fortify Stalingrad against the German invasion. Hamas has had 18 years to fortify Gaza against an Israeli invasion. I'm afraid that that invasion will cost more lives than the original terror attack itself. But what about us here in Canada? What about in America? And what about in the United Kingdom? And what about France? And what about Germany? What about places in the West where this flying of the barbarian flag resulted in not condemnation and, and shock, but in support, in glee, in enthusiasm? I say again that the first rallies and jubilant rallies in the days after the terrorist attack were only in response to the terrorist attack. Israel did not shoot back uh, for, for, for a little while, for several days. So what made thousands of Hamas supporters, both Muslim supporters in the West and their woke white allies, was the jubilation of the cruelty, was the jubilation of the murder, the torture, the rape, the, the obscenity. To me, that is terrifying, which is, I suppose, why they call it terrorism. But what can you do? One of the hallmarks of life in Canada and the United States and the United Kingdom is uh, freedom of speech, even for odious thoughts. In fact, those are the only thoughts that really matters to have free speech. No one worries about freedom of speech for banal discussions like, hey, how's the weather? Hey, that sports game. Hey, here's a human interest story. Isn't that cute? Freedom of speech is only engaged with troubling speech. Um, and as we look at the screen there, we showed, I think that was from Hamas. We, we've had reporters in, sorry, that was from Mississauga. We've had reporters in Mississauga, in Toronto, in Vancouver, Ottawa, Montreal, Calgary, Edmonton. We've shown the same thing in every city. What can be done about that? I mean, the whole world was transfixed by a hundred tiki torch bearing white racists in Charlottesville, Virginia, six years ago. The whole world freaked out. And the whole world is turning a blind eye to a hundred times that number marching in a sustained way, not just saying we're white and we're proud or whatever those Charlottesville people. I think they said we will not be replaced or something like they just had some they had some aspirational racist view. In Charlottesville, they didn't say, kill the Jews, kill the Jews. They didn't say that in Charlottesville. They had racist statements and racist proclamations and declarations, but they didn't say intifada revolution. These shots are from downtown Toronto a few years ago outside the Israeli consulate. They were chanting from the river to the sea, which means uh, kill every Jew in between. That's what that means. It's a genocide, really. 
The Charlottesville racist didn't say that. So what do you do when you have thousands or tens of thousands or in the UK, hundreds of thousands of people who love this violence? You've got an enormous challenge on your hands. I think one obvious solution is to turn off the tap to stop adding more to the problem, which I think is unvetted mass immigration from places where anti-Semitism and anti-Westernism and violence is the norm. So I think the first rule of holes is when you're in one, stop digging. But even if you do that, which is dubious, what do you do about the folks who are already here? Well, I think that's the second point. If someone's a citizen, there's, they would have certain rights. If someone's a guest, a visitor, for example, if they're a foreign citizen on a student visa attending a university in Toronto or Vancouver or Montreal or New York, they're here as a guest. They don't have tenure here. And while the courts generally uphold that even guests have freedoms under our constitutions, they can be kicked out for... Um, much easier grounds. If someone is not a citizen, countries can exclude them for almost any reason because they don't have the same, they don't have the same tenure, they don't have the same rights as citizens do. So I think one thing that we've seen is a call for foreign nationals who are here on student visas who go to these hate rallies to have their um, their visas canceled. And, uh, in fact, you had a video up there one second ago. Let's play this video. Here's Ron DeSantis. This is from a few days ago, and then I'm going to show you an even more interesting thing he did. So here's Ron DeSantis talking about foreign nationals in the United States who are not citizens and who are not being good house guests, in fact, who are calling for the death of Jews, both in Israel and America. Here's Ron DeSantis. And I think what this terrorist attack in Israel has shown us is we're vulnerable from all the people that have come illegally because they have come from Iran, too. It's not just Mexico, yes. Central America, Russia, China, Middle East, all that stuff. But I think what we also saw when the blood wasn't even dry on the Israelis who had been massacred, you had people in America going out protesting in favor of Hamas. Yes. And that's like very chilling. Some of these people are not U.S. citizens. They're student visas. So as president, if you're on a student visa and you're a foreigner and you're out there celebrating terrorism, I'm canceling your visa and I'm sending you home. And I think what this... I, I think that's... That has to be done for sure. And we're starting a campaign called DeportHamas.com for that exact purpose. But DeSantis put out a very interesting uh, press release. Um, and I'm going to talk about this more out on my show tonight. He, he looked at anti-terrorism laws. Like, it's one thing to talk about hate speech. And we've seen more hate speech in Canadian streets in the last three weeks than we have in the last 30 years. Um... We've seen absolute silence from Human Rights Commission. Show me the last Human Rights Commission in this country that's spoken out about what you've seen on the streets. None. They're silent. None. Not one. Tell me the anti-hate group or the race relations group. These are the folks who call everyone else a racist at the drop of a hat. Completely silent here. 
But the thing about anti-hate speech laws is you know they're going to be used against folks like you and me because it's in the eye of the government prosecutor. Um, hate speech is speech that they hate. I mean, really, um, every time freedom of speech is narrowed, it redounds to the uh, benefit of the government and it reduces the freedom of the citizen. But what if it's not just speech? I've shown you before the criminal code provisions they make it a crime to participate, facilitate, instruct, or harbor terrorists. Those are the four categories of things you can't do if something's an official terrorist group. Participating, facilitating, instructing, and harboring. Every person who knowingly participates in or contributes to, directly or indirectly, activity of a terrorist group for the purpose of enhancing the ability of any terrorist group to facilitate or carry out a terrorist activity is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than 10 years. And, if, and, and there's more details there. I won't go into it now. It's quite a long thing. You can find it yourself. It's so easy to find. Just type in criminal code terrorism provisions, and that pops up. Um. So let me show you a press release put up by Ron DeSantis yesterday. It's actually the version I uh, have here is not from DeSantis or his campaign and not from the government of Florida per se, but rather a branch of the government of Florida called the State University System of Florida. So the, uh, in, in the United States, this is my understanding, um, there are state universities, there's city universities, there's, and then there's independent, there's private universities. It's just different, it's just different circuits, really. I presume the state universities are funded um, and directed con and controlled by the state. That's just, that seems like common sense to me. Let me show you a memo sent to all state university presidents um, yesterday. And I'm going to go into some more detail on this tonight on the Ezra LeVant Show, but I'm going to read a little bit of this to you now. So this was to all state university um, presidents. If you want to put that memo up, and I'll just sort of read from it as we go. Re, deactivation of National Students for Justice in Palestine. During a holy Jewish holiday, the recognized terrorist organization, Hamas, launched an unprovoked attack on Israel, including those killed were babies, women, and the elderly. To date, approximately 1,400 uh, Israelis have been killed, including 31 American citizens. Governor DeSantis, our state university system, and the Florida college system have condemned these attacks. Hamas is responsible for this attack and claims it as Operation Al-Aqsa Flood. So that's important because Hamas said, yeah, it was us. In the wake of the terror, military leaders of Hamas have called for the mobilization of Palestinians in support of the operation. Okay, so realize what he's saying here. Terrible terrorist attack. Hamas admits it was them. And they've called for helpers. Okay, you can see the direction this is going, right? Participate, facilitate, instruct, harbor. That's the Canadian version of the American. America has the same law. And then here we get into it. In response and leading up to a day of resistance, the National Students for Justice in Palestine released a toolkit which refers to Operation Al-Aqsa Flood as the resistance and unequivocally states, quote, 
Palestinian students in exile are part of this movement, not in solidarity with this movement. So they're saying, hey, guys, you're not outside it. You're in it. Get aboard. Well, how stupid is that? Imagine saying in public, we are going to be a part of this terrorist operation. Well, why not? They've been getting away with that sort of talk for years. In fact, I'm, su I'm surprised. We, I mean, <laughs> that's really not much more radical than we've heard from Ilhan Omar or Rashida Tlaib. Well, and then here, here he comes to his point. It is a felony under Florida law to, quote, knowingly provide material support to a designated foreign terrorist organization. And then they cite the Florida statute. Here, National SJP, that's the Students for Justice in Palestine, has affirmatively identified it as part of the Operation Al-Aqsa Al Flood, a terrorist-led attack. The State University System of Florida has at least two institutions with active national SJP chapters. These chapters exist under the headship of the National Students for Justice in Palestine, who distributed a toolkit identifying themselves as part of their Operation Al-Aqsa Flood, based on the national SJP's support of terrorism in consultation with Governor DeSantis, the student chapters must be deactivated. These two student chapters may form another organization that complies with Florida state statutes and university policies. The two institutions should grant these two chapters a waiver for the fall deadlines should reapplication take place. Um, in other words, and can you put up the, uh, I think there's a second page there. Uh, let me just call it up here on my own screen. So you'll see, um, I'll, I'll just wrap up. It's actually not that much more. Promoting excellent educational quality while providing a safe environment for all students is paramount. The state university system will continue working with the executive office, blah, blah, blah. Contact me if you have any questions. And there's some links, including to the, quote, toolkit. So it's an interesting case, and it, and it really is a slam dunk, isn't it? If you say we are part of the terrorist attack, not in solidarity to it, help, here's a toolkit to help. Well, I mean, it's like you went through the criminal law and went check, 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 all the way down the list. Now, again, I showed you the Canadian criminal code. Obviously, that is not the same in the U.S., but there is that Florida state law that, that the governor cited. So look at that. He hasn't deported them yet. And again, many of the members are probably American. That's what's so terrifying here is it's not just extremists who have come from other countries. There are extremists in our own countries. But at the very least, to designate these student groups as illegal terrorist entities that must be deactivated... What does that do? First of all, that takes out those campus groups. Second of all, sure throws some cold water on some hotheads. What am I at? Third of all, it shows that uh, standing up for Jews in the university campus against these anti-Semites is real and not just talk like it is with Trudeau. And fourth of all, I think it's a role model for other governors around the country, as uh, Ron DeSantis so often is. I'm not going to go on too much longer about this subject because I want to save some ideas uh, 
for my show tonight where I'm going to talk at length. But this is what Ron DeSantis does. And I don't think Ron DeSantis is going to beat uh, Donald Trump in the Republican presidential primary. I mean, he's so far back. Um, if Trump was not running, then yes, I think DeSantis would win. But Trump is running, and I think he'll even run from jail. And frankly, I think he might even win from jail. If you saw my show last night, I went through the Harvard-Harris poll, and Trump is way ahead of Biden. And if you throw in Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who said he's running as an independent, Trump is still way ahead of Biden. So, I mean, that's just a snapshot in time. And of course, you have to win beyond the margin of fraud, beyond the margin of lawyer. But if there were an election today, Donald Trump would win. Uh, I, I, I think the possibility of Trump being assassinated by the deep state or some left-wing radical or, or some crazed progressive woke who is truly convinced in his mind that Trump is the new Hitler, I think, I think there is a real chance of Trump being assassinated. I mean, literally, what else can they do to him? Um, I see you've got the Harvard-Harris poll in the background there. Yeah, let's put that on on the screen. This is an interesting page. This tests, uh, this is that Harvard-Harris poll, which is very interesting to me. Uh, the, the person with the highest approval in America right now is Donald Trump. Number two is RFK Jr. Number three is Joe Biden. Kamala Harris is fourth. I don't know how. Elon Musk is fifth, the head of Hillary Clinton. Ron DeSantis is there, and you can see that they have name. I mean, Elon Musk is not running for anything. They put Netanyahu's name on there. Um, they put Alexandria Ocasio Cortez on there. Um, they put Mahmoud Abbas, the head of the PLO, on there, and Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, uh, which I just chuckled about. That's a that's an interesting thing. Um, that's just approval or, or not approval. But can you, do you remember this slide in there that actually, it's a pie chart that shows the result. So what we just looked at there uh, was the, um, do you approve or disapprove? But if you scroll a little further, down, a little further, um, you'll, or, or, I'm, yeah, I think it's a little further ahead. Uh, you'll have pie charts showing if the election were held and, it, and go with, go, so you're looking at the primaries there, I think. Um, there's three segments. Yeah, is that it there? Yeah, Trump wins in three-way race. Yep, put that on the screen if you please. Thank you very much. So this is a Harvard-Harris poll, and this is not a right-wing pollster. This is a meticulous pollster. I, I talked about this on my show last night. So RFK Jr. is running as an independent. Now, maybe people are lying when they say they'll vote for him, but... Kennedy is a universally known household name. I think he's conducted himself very well. He's very strong on the internet. And unlike, um, you know, Bernie Sanders, who was cheated out of uh, the primary four years ago, RFK is going to run anyways. He's a lifelong activist. So look at this. Trump wins in three-way race, including RFK. And you can see that Trump gets in this matchup here, 39%, way ahead of Biden. And then there's RFK at 19%, if I'm reading that right. And on the right-hand side, that's if you take, um, like, that's if you take the don't knows out of there. And and, and then it's an even larger, or it's a, or it's a large win. 
Now, obviously, an enormous number of things can happen between now and then, including, God forbid, World War III. But yeah, I, I found that a very interesting poll. What I, what I went through in there actually was the American support for Hamas or Israel. I don't know if it's easy for you to find, Olivia. Um, I think that was earlier in the poll. I don't remember where, maybe not. Um, yeah, that shows that people are starting to get worried about the war. But then there was another poll that asked people, are you for Hamas or for Israel? And seniors, by that I mean people over 65, 95% of American seniors are for Israel. And that's great. And of course, seniors vote more than anyone else. And um, 91% um, yeah, that's it right there. So here's the question. A large majority of voters think the attack on Israel was a terrorist attack. And then do you think the recent attack was a terrorist attack or not? Yeah, 86% to 14%. But go to the next chart. Uh, three in four voters say Hamas was in, indiscriminately targeting um, civilians. Yeah, so just go to the next page, if you please. And then... Um, Go to the next page. They're just asking questions here. Are they terrorists or freedom fighters? And who do you support? So go to the next page again. Sorry. A large majority of voters side with Israel in the conflict and identify Hamas as a terrorist group. So let's look at the pie chart on the right. 84% of Americans say Hamas is a terrorist group. 16% are sympathetic to it. And look at how that's broken down by age. Like I say, 95% of seniors... 91% of boomers, or I guess seniors are boomers these days. But look at the youngest age group there, the 18 to 24s. It's basically a 50-50 tie. 52% of very young Americans side with Israel. 48% side with Hamas, which is shocking and terrifying. And it shows that it's not just foreign immigrants from places where they're extremely pro-terrorist or anti-Semitic. Those are American-born, regular Americans. They're not newcomers. They're not new immigrants. They're not born and raised in a country like Syria or Afghanistan or, or whatever. Those are people born in New York, Chicago, Dallas, whatever, who have gone to school and have been indoctrinated in the woke ideology of oppressed and oppressor. Um, so that's scary. And if those folks are not deprogrammed, they will over time move through the system. Lawyers, judges, congressmen, senators, presidents. So it's, a, it's an existential threat, I think. Uh, it's 148. Let's move on to some other things. I want to tell you that our most popular story over the last day has nothing to do with Israel or Hamas or the Middle East. And I have seen this story so many places, including on one of my favorite Twitter websites, uh, Libs of TikTok. Do you know that site? It's run, run by a young woman named Chaya Rachik, who um, her specialty is just going through TikTok and finding these insane videos that left-wingers post. And then she just collects them, puts them on Twitter and says, basically says, look at this. And so she finds the crazy. She spends the time searching 
TikTok for the crazy and shows it to you. And one of her focuses is transgender extremism in schools. And um, let me just show you her tweet, and then we'll play the video from David. But this tweet has been getting uh, widely, this video has been widely shared. Do we have Chaya Rachik's, uh If you go to Twitter and type in her name, C-H-A-Y-A is her first name. It's spelled like Chaya. And then Rachik, R-A-I-C-H-I-K, I think is how you spell it. Hey, there it is, right there. Yeah, blow that up just a little bit. So she's got a pretty big account, and a lot of Americans love her because she's feisty. And um, Taylor Lorenz and the New York Times and the Washington Post are trying to destroy her. So she says, it feels like they're trying to outdo themselves to see how much more insane they can be and how long they can continue getting away with it. And she takes a screenshot, as you can see. Swim competition allows a 50-year-old biological male to swim with 13-year-old girls. The Markham Pan Am Center, just north of Toronto, was the venue for the Richmond Hill Aquatic Center's fall classic swimming competition last weekend, and the classic Sesame Street song came to mind. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> One of these things does not belong. Do you know that song? That made me laugh, because I, I don't know if kids these days watch Sesame Street and if they they have that old song, but when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, that was a that was a really fun song. Uh, One of these things is not like the others. One of these things is not the same. Uh, and that's David for you with the pop culture references. So without further ado, let's play a little bit of that video from David. That headline, though, is so incredible. The story came to us as a tip from a viewer. And that's David's specialty, is uh, chasing down these tips uh, with some shoe leather journalists. Let's take a look and watch this video for a second. Or Rebel News here in Markham, Ontario, and I'm at the Markham Pan Am Center. This is host to a swimming competition. And here's the deal, folks. We were tipped off by some concerned parents that a travesty was occurring in the swimming pool. And to quote the old Sesame Street song, one of these things is not like the other. One of these things does not belong. Which is to say that all of the swimming races here at the Richmond Hill Aquatic Center's Fall Classic, they are segregated by sex and age, except for one. On Friday, a race took place in which there were 10 participants. Nine of the participants were teenage girls. They were either 13 or 14. And one participant, if you can imagine, was a male age 50. That's right, a 50-year-old male competing against teenage girls. Now, the name of this person is uh, Nicholas Sapita. Uh, he goes by his alias these days, and that would be Melody Wiseheart. And the very idea that a 50-year-old male is competing against teenage girls, it goes beyond parody. That's why my cameraman Efren and I have come to the Pan Am Center. We want to find out why this travesty is being allowed. What does the Richmond Hill Aquatic Center um, have to say about it? What does the governing body, Swim Ontario, have to say about this? And even Nicholas's own club, the Orangeville Otters, we're going to go in, try to find out if we can find anyone in charge to explain how this latest slice 
of transanity in the pool is being allowed in the first place. And we're just doing a report on the competition. And we understand from concerned parents. Oh, okay. I don't know exactly what's the purpose of this. That's oh, why I'm trying I'll to- I'll tell you, sir. We were tipped off by concerned parents of swimmers that um, a 50-year-old man got to compete against teenage girls at a Friday event. Um, we're just wondering, how does a 50-year-old male get to compete with teenage girls? Well, it's not, actually, I don't think that it happened because I'm actually the competition coordinator for this meet. I do not recall there's a 50 years old man swimming in here on the Friday, competing with little kids. The registration of a swimmer, it's based in Swimming Ontario and Swimming Canada system. Okay. Okay. So when we actually run the meet, we're validating the registration of the swimmer, making sure that they register and also their time for the swim. Okay. So what happened is that when we accept those swim entries, that's what we do. It's all going through a system running by Swimming Canada. So what happened is that, yes, I, it's my mistake. We did actually, indeed, there was someone actually swimming on that, okay? However, they That would actually, be Melody, right? Well, I don't know exactly because I oh, wasn't person. So there's I'm, no name on that list? Yes, or? there's a lame in here. That's why I'm saying I'm validating whatever the he, she that you have is correct. Okay. However, the meet was open age sections. Okay. So what happened is, that session is actually allow any age swimmer. I don't, don't get into with me on age because it's all based on what Swimming Canada's registration. But Mr. Chan, what I don't understand is that nine out of the 10 participants were female and either 13 or 14, and the 10th participant was a male, 50 years of age. Okay, so as I said, don't talk about gender for me because I do not know because the registration, whatever they enter, this is a 13 years old girls yes so the registration in swimming canada as i say when the entries comes in we're validating we only have a girl and male event so what happened is that whatever registration in swimming canada for that swimmer whatever gender it goes into whichever event okay girls and so that means so that I could I could come to an event like this. I could say I identify as a 13 year old girl and I swim with the 13 year old girls. We base on Swimming Canada registration. So if the swimmer registered in Swimming Canada reg uh, registration okay. as a female, she will be eligible to come down to actually swim in this heat. Now, obviously, if you actually jumped up with a man with all the girls, that will be a question for us. Okay. Right. But on the other hand, in terms of accepting the swimmer into the meet, that's what we base on. Well, Mr. Chen, if you can get that Swimming Canada yes, person Yes, I'm actually trying to get that. Just wait okay. from him. Okay. 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 So he's more than happy to actually talk with you guys on Monday. This oh, on Monday. Important. Okay, yeah. and that's Dean Bowles. He's the CEO yes. of Swim Ontario. Yes. What about the fellow with um, Swim he's Canada? He's actually officiating. I can't actually pull him out. Sorry. Would he want us to come back nope. later? No. no. He will not talk because to us. Because I actually pull him. He has to go back. But on the other hand, the three of us are on the phone okay. with Dean. Okay. And then Dean is actually happy to actually talk with you guys on Monday. Is Dean available right now? Because we have a no. Chat. We might have to do a follow-up story. We actually interrupt him at the middle of something. This is a Sunday afternoon, right? Oh, okay. So, so he's not on site then, right? No. Okay. No. Then. no. Okay. So talk okay. with actually Dean on Monday. Well, there we have it, folks. We did try to get their side of the story. That would be Swim Ontario and Swim Canada. The Swim Ontario official, I guess it's a day off for him. Uh, the Swim Canada official, according to Mr. Chan, uh, he doesn't want to come on camera. He's much too busy even after the event is over. So we will reach out for a follow-up story in the days ahead. Now, we don't have any video 
of Nicholas slash Melody in the pool. However, we do have a clip of uh, this person. If you can imagine, uh, he's a professor at York University, and he was recently at the McMaster Symposium on Cognition, Learning, and Education. Here, check it out. I'm going to start off the talk with a little secret. My secret that I, I actually do tell my undergrads, thankfully fourth-year undergrads, so they don't realize this early in their career. Massing or cramming for an exam actually works really well. And in many cases, cramming for an exam is better than spacing. And so I want you to take that little message right there and think about this and what implications it has for you as a teacher. So what do you need to do with your course that might help you to design the course in a way that will actually maximize long-term retention? This is assuming that you as a teacher actually cares about long-term retention. So what can you do to make long-term retention the priority of what happens in the course? Because really it's up to you as the teachers to make that difference. Now here's the thing. In addition to being a professor at York University, two of his research areas are children and youth. Oh, and by the way, the swim club Nicholas belongs to, that would be the Orangeville Otters. They have had some media coverage going back to last February. Oh, nothing to do with Nicholas slash Melody uh, competing with uh, teenage girls. Rather, it was a lifestyle piece. Will you hear some of this putrid prose that was published in the Caledon Enterprise uh, earlier this year? Quote, they are now pioneers, members of a generation working against stereotypes and stigmas, facing questions and public scrutiny and telling a story they are forced to tell, to educate, to pacify, to explain, to help others grow and the world to evolve, end quote. Wow, can you believe that? And absolutely no mention uh, how much Nicholas charges to haunt a house. Anyways, I think what we found out today was two things. You know, they say it's not necessarily the crime, but the cover-up. I think it's both in this case. The very fact that a 50-year-old biological male was allowed to swim with teenage girls is completely offside. And you saw at the beginning, uh, maybe cover-up is too harsh a word, but we were told emphatically, oh, there's no way a 50-year-old man was swimming with girls on Friday and later. Well, we were factually bulletproof on that. Folks, we're not going to let this sit. We're going to do follow-up stories. We're going to reach out to the regulatory authorities at Swim Canada and Swim Ontario. But then again, maybe like the rugby people here, uh, they're going to uh, not respond. And we're going to try to get Nicholas on the record as well. Maybe we'll show up at a future swim meet, see who this man is competing with then. What an absolute disgrace in the pool. For Rebel News, I'm David the Menzoid Menzies. You know, <clears throat> I appreciate that fella. I think if I heard correctly, his name is Mr. Chan. I appreciate him talking to David at all. Uh, generally, um, when the issue of transgenderism comes up, people freeze, they panic, they call the police on David. <laughs> that fellow there actually seemed pretty friendly, but I think there was a bit of a wall of fog and bureaucrat speak. Um, 
And and I, I didn't quite understand the answer. If so, if someone says they're a girl, that's enough. Um, watching that fifty-year-old professor in a dress. You know, I don't care what your sexuality is. Why are you talking about it, expressing it, showing it in a in a non-sexual setting, in a non-private setting? Why are you why are you using your class as a sexual expression as a kind of therapy perhaps or a kind of fetish? That's clearly what was happening with that um uh, Busty Lemieux, as David calls him, that shop teacher who had the shocking, bizarre, fake breasts. Okay, you get a kick out of that. I, I don't want to talk about that. Just don't show me. Just don't bother me, please. And, and you know, you don't want to do that in the privacy of your own home or other adults, consenting adults. What I, I literally don't care. The world is so messed up. If if that's how you get your jollies, I don't. I actually don't care. But you take that into a school with children, it's obvious what's going on. You are making them, forcing them to participate in your sexual moment. And you obviously get a thrill out of that. They're essential. They're, they're pressed into being cameo actors in your kind of pornography. Whether you're standing there like that professor in a dress or, or you're Busty Lemieux in a shop class with minor children and hopping into a swimming pool with 13-year-old girls is so gross. 20 years ago, let alone 200 years ago, a grown man who would sneak or lie or cheat his way into a situation where they're with minor children, all girls, in a swimming environment, and, and we didn't even hear what change room he uses, that kind of guy would have been probably physically attacked by a father, or the cops would have come and thrown him into, the, uh, into a jail cell because he's so obviously a kind of predator. Now, I'm not saying he did sexually assault a child, but he compelled them to be part of his sexual moment. That's what that is. It's, it's insane that the response to that is a bureaucratic gobbledygook that we heard there and, oh, this Swim Canada, Swim Ontario, Swim Toronto, and this and that detail. Uh, you know, it does not deserve a bureaucratic answer. It deserves a moral answer. No, you weirdo, stay out of this. Go to your fetish club and and just do not come around the children. And that's, I think, why the T in LGBT is backfiring. Because the L and the G and the B would always say, hey, leave us alone. My body, my choice, privacy of my own home. I love who I love, stay out of my business, what do you care, leave me alone, privacy, whatever. And there was some truth to it. But the T is not about let me, the T, the transgenderism, transvestism, which used to be a, a bigger thing, I think, was a purely adult thing. You know, Madonna's song, Vogue, do you want to call up that video and just put it in the background? Um, 
you know, there were transvestite clubs. Some were transgender, but it was mainly just a kind of dress up. And it was all adults. It was adults who would gather and get a kick out of it. And, and sometimes it was artistic, by the way. Um, voguing was a kind of dancing in these clubs. And Madonna took it and popularized it. The whole word Vogue. If you want to put some, I don't know if you want to put the sound on, but, but uh, yeah, so the, what was this? What's the date on this? Like 1990 or something, like 30 years ago. Um, the idea that there would be children of tender years involved here was unthinkable. It was a club scene. It was a gay club scene. And I, I don't think most people knew about it. I don't think most people cared. Those who wanted it sought it out and found it. And I honestly don't even think the tea was, I don't even think people thought about it. They didn't even know what it was until out of the blue, five, 10 years ago, it was, it was, it became de rigueur. It became mandated. It became instructed. And to put that into schools is what has caused the backlash. And I really think the T in LGBT is undoing public support for the L, the G, and the B. And don't get me started on the 2SLQQIA XYZ. As Dr. James Lindsay would say, Q, to queer something, is not even necessarily sexual. It means just to undermine it from a critical theory, cultural Marxism point of view. I think he's right. Queering math doesn't mean math is sexual. Queering spelling doesn't mean that spelling is sexualized. It means that those norms of 2 plus 2 is 4, or cat is spelled C-A-T, is that you destroy those norms because they're oppressive patriarchal norms. And the queer approach to spelling is spell things however you want. And the queer approach to math is math is whatever you want. And anyone who says differently is a racist, sexist transphobe. That's actually what the cue is. And that, as Shee Van Fleet told us on the show last night, is why Queers for Palestine makes sense. There are no queers in Palestine. I saw transgender for, for Palestine. I saw some on Twitter. There are no transgender people in Hamas. There, there is not even one. They would be killed quite possibly by their own family. The idea of a store, drag queen story hour is unthinkable. The concept has, it's unthinkable. It's, it's like if gravity stopped work or something. It only makes sense when you understand the non-sexual use of the word queer, which is to destroy the oppressor. And that's what queers for Palestine have in common with, common with Hamas, have in common with Black Lives Matter. These are not, this is not a coalition uh, about the details, black lives, gay lives, Palestinian lives. Oh, there's Greta there, climate justice. The thing is not the thing. The revolution is the thing. The thing is not the thing. Destroying the oppressor is the thing. And when you understand that, then it all makes sense. Then you understand why they're queering math, queering spelling, why they're queering girls swimming for 13-year-olds. Then it all makes sense. It's the revolution. Well, I look at the clock, and it is 
uh, 2.09 p.m., I'm going to go, I'm going to prepare for my show tonight where I'm going to go into some depth about Ron DeSantis' plan for, um, or I might do that in tomorrow's show, but I'm going to talk about that. And I've got some news. The reason I might delay the Ron DeSantis story is because I've actually got some news I want to share. And I think I'm going to sh not share it on the live stream. I'm going to share it on my show tonight. And I think we might put that on the internet for free afterwards. But if you want to watch my show, can I invite you to be a subscriber to my show? It's every weekday at 8 p.m. Eastern. It's called the Ezra Levant Show. That sort of tells you what's cooking. I typically do a monologue, 10, 20, sometimes even longer minutes long. And then I typically do an interview, 10, 20 minutes, sometimes even longer. Occasionally, I just do the whole show, a feature interview, like for 40 minutes of a really interesting person. I probably could have gone 40 minutes with uh, Xi Van Fleet last night, the survivor of the Cultural Revolution in China. Um, you can find more about this at rebelnewsplus.com. It's eight bucks a month to get the video version. And as I like to say, eight bucks a month is probably not a lot of dough to you, if I may guess, but it's a lot to us because it really adds up. If enough people subscribe, that's how we pay the bills here. So it actually covers about half our payroll, just the subscriptions to that show. So do it because you get great content, if I may, but also do it to support Rebel News because we are demonetized by YouTube and frankly, we do not line up for handouts from Trudeau like 99.9% .9 of the media in Canada do. And when I say 99.9%, .9%, that is not an exaggeration. 1,500 different media companies in Canada have their handout to be paid by Trudeau. 1,500. I didn't even know there were 1,500 media companies in Canada, but there are. When it's time for free money, everyone's a media company, aren't they? Well, we do not take the money. We have not asked for the money. We, we would not take it if it was offered. So we rely on you. So please consider going to rebelnewsplus.com and subscribing. Well, that's our live stream for today. If there's any super chats, I, I bet there are. We, we have some super chat chats who are super chatting almost every day. In fact, I knew it. Fraser McBurney's there, five bucks. Thanks, Fraser. It's easy to clear the tunnels. This is how you do it. You have the sea, bring in pumps and pump the sea into the tunnels. Personally, I would use sarin gas first. Okay, so you're thinking in a certain vein, but what if I told you that in those tunnels were 200 civilian hostages from Israel? What would your approach be then? That's the terrible position that Israel's in. All right, that's our show for today. Until the Ezra Levant Show tonight at 8. On behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters to you at home, goodbye, and keep fighting for freedom. Bill Blair said earlier today that Hamas must be eliminated and cannot be trusted to abide by any ceasefire. Do you agree with him? Uh, Hamas is recognized as a terrorist organization. They've committed unspeakable atrocities. Our priority throughout this needs to be the continued protection of innocent civilians, the liberation of the hostages. That's why uh, we're engaged closely with our allies on trying to build humanitarian corridors, get aid in, get civilians and foreign nationals out of Gaza. I think there's a lot of conversations going on now about the need for humanitarian pauses. And I think that's something that Canada <laughs> could ask. Do you want to start feeling like your pre-COVID self again? You're not alone. The wellness company Spike Support Formula is an all-natural supplement to help people do just that. It was created by cardiologist Peter McCullough and his expert team of doctors to help the people experiencing effects from COVID 
and the you know what. Go to twc.health rebel today. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. After years, I'm finally coming to Canada. I'm a practicing internist and cardiologist. I've trained in epidemiology. The FDA wanted to block the Pfizer dossier for 55 years. 50% of the lives at that time could have been saved. We were at about 250,000 deaths. Red Deer, Thursday, November 9th. Get tickets at canadiansfortruth.ca. See you Thursday, November 9th.